Chapter Ten of Her Benny by Silas Hawking. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Lorraine Paquette. Chapter Ten, in the woods. I roam the woods that crown the upland, where the mingled splendors glow, where the gay company of trees look down on the green fields below. Let in through all the trees come the strange rays. The forest depths are bright their sunny-coloured foliage in the breeze twinkles like beams of light bryant perks was very much annoyed that benny had not stayed to see him perform the feat of picking a gentleman's pocket nevertheless he was very anxious to cultivate our hero's acquaintance especially as benny had generally treated him with unmistakable contempt so on the following morning he sought out benny and tried his very best to make himself agreeable but Benny was in a decidedly unfriendly mood, and threw cold water on all Perks's advances. But nothing daunted, Perks kept near him most of the day, and even offered to treat him to what he called a feed. But it was of no use. Benny had learned a lesson he would not easily forget, and he knew that his safety lay in having as little to do with Perks and his class as possible. So, as evening came on and Perks still hung round him, he lost all patience, and doubling his fist in an unmistakable manner, he said, with a gymnastic flourish, Look here, Perks, if you don't walk your pegs in double-quick time, you'll wish your hat, that's all. Oh, that's your game, is it? said Perks, in a defiant tone, and squaring up in front of Benny. It are, was the reply, and if you don't want to see fire, you'd better be off like greased lightning. I shall go when I likes, and not afore, said Perks, and if yer thinks yer's going to bully this little chap, yous got the wrong pig by the ear. I wants to bully nobody, said Benny, in a milder tone, but I won't have yer a-hangin' about me all day. I suppose yer wants to crib something without my knowin' it, said Perks, with a sneer. It's a lie, said Benny, colouring painfully, as the events of the previous day crossed his mind. "'Tain't a lie neither,' was the response, "'or you'd not get so red over it.' "'Do you think I's a thief, then?' said Benny. "'No,' said Pert scornfully, "'but I knows it.' "'And you shall know somewhat else afore you're a minute older,' said Benny, springing upon him and dealing him a blow between the eyes that made him stagger, and before he could recover himself, a second blow sent him reeling against a wall." For a moment Perks glared at his antagonist with flaming eyes, but he saw that he was no match for Benny, so he turned on his heel and walked away. He had not gone many steps, however, before he came back again. "'Look here, Ben Bates,' he said. "'You's licked me now, but I'll get my revenge, and I'll almost plague the life out of you.' And once more he walked away. Perks kept his word. From that day he became the greatest plague of Benny's life. He stole his matches, picked his pocket, tripped him up in the street, and annoyed him in every possible way that he could imagine, always mindful, however, to keep out of the reach of Benny's arm, and being fleet-footed, that was not difficult. Benny, however, said he could afford to bide his time, so he quietly went on his way, feeling that nothing could trouble him very much, now that little Nell was getting better again and as the summer advanced she did seem to get very much better. The cough became less troublesome, her appetite improved, her cheerfulness came back, 
and altogether she seemed to be taking, as Joe Wragg put it, a new lease of her life. And yet a close observer would have noticed that the improvement was more in appearance than in reality. The pink spot still burned on either cheek, and her great round eyes shone with an unnatural luster, and her strength, which had been failing for months, did not seem to come back. And though she went out with Benny in the morning and came back with him in the evening, yet each evening she seemed more tired and worn than on the previous one. She made no complaint, however, but, on the contrary, always declared that she was getting ever so much better. For several weeks Joe Wragg had been planning to give the children a treat, and one fine morning in June he put in an appearance at Tempest Court before they had left, much to their surprise and delight. Nellie was the first to see him coming up the court, and ran to meet him, her eyes beaming with pleasure. "'Oh, Joe!' she exclaimed. "'I'm so pleased to see you.' "'Is you my purdy?' said Joe fondly, and stooping down he took her up in his arms and carried her into the house. Granny looked up in surprise, and Benny stared in bewilderment, fearing there was mischief in the wind. "'Yer don't get much heavier,' said Joe, sitting down with Nellie on his knee. "'We'll have to feed yer up a bit, somehow.' "'Oh, I's very well, Joe,' said Nellie, nestling closer to her old friend. "'Don't know about that,' said Joe reflectively. "'But what do yer say about havin' holiday to-day?' "'Oh, Methuselah!' said Benny, brightening up in a moment. "'That's the game, are it?' And he went out in the doorway and stood on his head, a sure sign that he was more than usually delighted. Nellie looked up in Joe's face with a beautiful light in her eyes. "'Do you mean it, Joe?' she said simply. "'Ay, my bonny, that I do,' responded Joe. "'Oh, then, won't it be just, just—' "'Profusely,' said Benny, coming to her rescue with one of his grand words, of which he had been laying in a stalk of late. "'Now then,' said Joe, "'get on your best togs, and let's be off.' Poor children! They had not much of best or worst in the way of attire, but such as it was, it was clean and neatly mended. Granny did her very best to turn them out respectable, and certainly they did her no discredit. "'Where's we going?' said Nellie, as she stepped along by Joe's side, her eyes sparkling with delight. "'Into the woods somewhere on t'other side of the water,' said Joe, looking fondly down into the child's beaming eyes. Benny had nearly stood on his head again when he heard that, but thought better of it, and contented himself with a shrill whistle, expressive of delight. "'Better and better,' he thought, flinging his cap into the air and catching it on his toe. "'Won't I enjoy myself? Just that's all.' By ten o'clock they were on the landing stage, and soon after they were gliding up the river toward Eastham. Oh, how the wavelets sparkled in the summer's sunshine, and how the paddle-wheels tossed the water into foam! How happy everything seemed to-day! The ferries were crowded with passengers, all of whom seemed in the best of spirits, and the rush of water and the beat of the engine seemed to Nellie the happiest sounds she had ever heard. Benny was rushing here and there and everywhere, and asking Joe questions about everything. But Nellie sat still. Her thoughts were too big for utterance, and her little heart, 
was full to overflowing. At length they reach New Ferry, where several passengers get off, and several others get on. Then on they glide again. The river here seems like a sheet of glass, so broad and smooth. Now they are nearing the river's bank, and Nelly is delighted to watch the trees gliding past. How wonderful everything seems! Surely her dreams are becoming a reality at last. For a while after they land, they sit on the river's bank in the shade of the trees, and Nelly rubs her eyes and pinches herself to be certain that she is not asleep. How grandly the mile-wide river at their feet flows downward to the sea! And what a beautiful background to the picture the wooded landscape makes that stretches away beyond Garston and Agberth! And Nelly wonders to herself if it is possible that heaven can be more beautiful than this. But Benny soon gets impatient to be off into the woods, and humoring his wish, they set off up a narrow path between banks of ferns and primroses and wild flowers of almost every hue. The tall trees wave their branches above them, and the birds whistle out their happy hearts. Here and there the grasshoppers chirp among the undergrowth, and myriads of insects make the air vocal with their ceaseless hum. They had scarcely got into the heart of the wood ere they found that Benny was missing, but they were neither surprised nor alarmed at this, for the lad was fairly brimming over with delight, and could not stay for five minutes in the same place if he were to be crowned. Nelly was as much delighted as her brother, perhaps more so, but she had a different way of expressing it. She felt, as she sat on a mossy bank, holding Joe's rough and horny hand within both her own, and looked away up the long avenues between the trees, and watched the dancing sunlight that was sifted down in golden patches, and listened to the dreamy murmur of the summer's wind through the leafy trees, mingling with the song of birds and the lowing of the cattle in the distant fields, as if she could have cried for very joy. It was all so solemn, and yet so delightful, so awe-inspiring, and yet so gladsome, that she hardly knew whether to laugh outright or hide her face on Joe's shoulder and have a good cry. Benny, however, decided the matter for her. He had been wandering, no one knew whither, and Joe was beginning to think it was time to go off in search of him, when they heard him shouting at the top of his voice, "'Joe! Joe! Golly! Make haste! Quick! Do you hear? Thunder!' Judging by the tone of his voice, as well as by his words, that he was in a difficulty of some kind, Joe and Nelly started off in the direction from whence the sound came. They had not gone far when they espied our hero, and at sight of him Joe stood stock still and held his sides. Not many yards away was Benny, suspended by his nether garment to the branch of a tree, and striking out with his hands and feet like a huge octopus in a frantic and vain endeavour to recover a horizontal position. He had gone out on this branch, which was not more than six feet from the ground, for some unknown purpose, and missing his hold he slipped, and would have fallen to the ground but for the friendly stump that held him suspended in mid-air. Joe, oh, do come, murder and turf, do you hear? What you're larfin' at? 
are ye moonstruck oh he shrieked out at the top of his voice still going through most unheard-of gymnastic exercises and vainly trying to raise his head to the level of his heels to make the matter worse a young gentleman passing at the time inquired of benny with a very grave face whether his was a new method of learning to swim on dry land if so he thought he had got the action nearly perfect the only thing required was to keep his head just a trifle higher by this time however joe had come to his relief and easily lifted him down without further mishap the young gentleman tried to poke some more fun at benny but he would not reply and soon after set off with joe and nelly to get some dinner after dinner they took a ramble across the fields in the direction of rabby mere benny's adventure had rather sobered him so he did not object to assist his sister in gathering wild flowers while joe artistically arranged them into what seemed to the children to be a magnificent bouquet fleet-footed indeed were the hours of that long summer's afternoon benny wished a thousand times that the day could last for ever and nelly though she was getting tired watched with a look of pain in her eyes the sun getting farther and farther down in the western sky as they were returning across the fields benny was strongly tempted to leap a ditch that he had noticed at the beginning of their ramble so strongly tempted indeed that he could not resist it so off he set at a swinging trot as soon as they got into the field joe guessed what he was after and called him back but it was of no use he either did not hear or would not heed for he went faster and faster as he neared the ditch joe saw him fling up his hands take a flying leap and then disappear after waiting a few moments and he did not appear on the opposite bank joe and nelly hurried after him on reaching the ditch they found that he was stuck fast in the mud about two feet from the opposite side and that the more he tried to get out the deeper he sank oh quick joe he shouted or i'll be out of sight in another minute sarve you right said joe laughing you had no business to get in there i can't stay to argify retorted benny don't you see there's scarce anything of me left ay i see plain enough said joe going to the other side and pulling him out though not without an effort i wonder what mischief you'll be into next don't know said benny regarding his legs with a look of dismay then after a long pause i say joe how's i to get this mud off scrape off what yer can said joe and let the rest dry and it'll rub off as clean as a new pin benny was rather ashamed of his appearance however when he got into the wood again and found himself in the midst of two or three hundred sunday-school children and their teachers all nicely dressed who had come out for a picnic but when he saw them each with a small bun loaf and a cup of milk he could not help drawing near notwithstanding the rather disgraceful state of his legs nelly was also anxious to have a nearer view of all those happy-looking children fortunately for benny the superintendent of the school was a gentleman that had invited him into the chapel months before benny felt sure he knew them again but whether he did or not he invited all three to sit down with the rest and gave them each a bun and a cup of milk joe was as delighted as the children with the kindness shown and was soon quite at his ease 
After lunch the children ran races for prizes, and Benny was invited to compete with the rest. This suited him exactly, and very soon after, with about a dozen others, he was bounding up a broad avenue between the trees in a well-matched and most exciting race. For the first half of the distance Benny dropped into the rear, then he began gradually to gain upon the others. Now was his time, so putting on a spurt for which he had saved his breath, he went bounding ahead of all the others, and amid loud hurrahs came first into the goal. Benny never felt so proud in his life before as when that first prize, a brand new sixpence, was put into his hand. His success, however, disqualified him from competing again, so he had to content himself with watching the others run. But the most delightful circumstance of all to Nelly was when all the children stood up in a large circle and sang, in their pure young voices, the following hymn. Land ahead, its fruits are waving, o'er the fields of fadeless green, and the living waters laving shores where heavenly forms are seen. There let go the anchor riding on this calm and silvery bay, seaward fast the tide is gliding shores in sunlight stretch away now we're safe from all temptation all the storms of life are past praise the rock of our salvation we are safely home at last nelly never forgot that little hymn to her dying day and when that evening they glided down the placid river towards home she repeated to herself over and over again seaward fast the tide is gliding shores in sunlight stretch away and when in her little corner she lay down to sleep it was only to dream of the sunlit shores on the banks of the far jordan river heaven seemed nearer and dearer to her ever after that day and she sometimes almost longed for the sunny slopes of that far-off country where there should be no more weariness nor pain End of chapter 10